He's worthy of it all. I, um, that song this week has really been um, resonating in my heart. And uh, you realize we're joining with heaven as we uh, lift up the name of Jesus, as we exalt him. Uh, that song, Wednesday morning, I just, when I woke up, it just kept going over and over and over in my mind. And um, <clears throat> we have prayer in here on Wednesday nights, and we usually do a worship song, and I felt like we should do a second song. And uh, we closed with that song, and I can tell you, as soon as we went into worship, my heart just broke before the Lord. And, you know, that posture is what God desires us to be walking in, just a brokenness of, of, of us before him, just acknowledging how great he is. You know, the songs that we were singing, there were some repeated themes of declarations of, I need you, Lord, I need you, every hour, I need you. And then we look to him and we exalt him. We realize he meets that every need. You know, uh, that song is taken from Revelation chapter 5. And it begins in a sad way, that psalm. Because there's an angel proclaimed who is worthy to take the scroll and break its seals. And it says that I wept with with, with disappointment, with sadness, because no one was worthy to take the scroll and to break its seals. And then there's this proclamation that said, but look, the lion of the tribe of Judah has conquered. The lamb of God is worthy. And he took the scroll and he opened it. And the response is, worthy are you. Worthy are you. He is worthy of it all. Everything that we have is a gift from him. In fact, this morning when we were in prayer and here before the service, I was like, you know, this desperation of, Lord, I need you you realize that at this moment, every single one of us need him. This moment, he sustains all all things. He holds all things together by the power of his word. We need him for the breath that we breathe. We need him. And when we live in this acknowledgement of our need of him, we find that he is fully trustworthy, that he meets our every need, and he is here for us. So I would just want us to continue. I want to invite um, all of us, for those that are present here and for those that are joining us online, uh, let's just continue to acknowledge our need of him and his provision. And when we do that, we see and we say and we sing and we live, you are worthy of it all. He truly is. Uh, God is working. He always is, but things totally change when we come into alignment with his work. And that's what we desire, is that we would each one be in alignment with his work. Uh, again, in prayer this morning, I just felt so strongly that, that for each person, so as we prepare for the service, um, we meet in prayer prior to, um, to people coming in, and it's the, it's the worship team, and uh, th- that includes those that are in tech and on stage and others that feel called to come here and pray. I just felt like the divine appointment so strongly. Like that, that for each of us on that team and for every person that's ministering here, uh, for those that are greeting, for those that are serving on the, in other ways on the hill with children and in the cafes, that, that, that it's all by divine appointment that God has ordained for us to be here. It is in his divine purpose. And again, I want to extend this to those that are watching online. It's, it's by God's divine purpose that you are connecting. And that God is desiring to do something in and through every one of us. So it's not just those that may be serving on an official team of grace this morning. This is for everyone. 
for all y'all. That God has you here by divine purpose and on purpose because he wants to work in and through you. I want to keep those together. God always does a work in us so that it can flow through us. So the thing is, it's like in, in Scripture, there, there's life where rivers flow. Wherever the river touches, there's life. But there are places that are stagnant, and it's those places that are stagnant that there is not life. That when it's not a flow. So I, I, want, us, I want us to embrace this truth in our lives that when God gives us something, it is for us, yes, and we really only find a fullness of it as we give it away. It's like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> because if I have it, isn't that a good thing? Yes. But it's not until it flows through me that I find the fullness of the life that God has for me. So for me, you know, in preparation for this message this morning, I've been like pulling in, pulling in, pulling in, just soaking in and saying, God, speak to me. You know, I want your word to, to speak truth to me. And, and God's doing a work, but yet I find the fullness of what God desires to do as it flows through me. And what God has given to you, let it flow through you, because what happens is that God is more than enough to then flow in more and flow in more and flow in more. And we get the idea that if I hold on to something, that it's better. And God is saying, no, release it because I have more. I have more. I have more. And we find the abundance of God's life in the flow. So we haven't even started to touch anything I have on the paper here. So as Phil would say, this is all bonus, right? So, um, be open. I want to invite you to be open to whatever God wants to do in and through your life this morning. I'm confident that there is incredible beauty that is about to unfold because he's God. And he's good. And he's here. You know, last week we were in a very challenging passage in Genesis chapter 22 where God calls Abraham to give up, to sacrifice as a burnt offering his promised son, Isaac. And, you know, we've talked about how, I mean, this, this was just an incredible test. I mean, Scripture says that God tested Abraham. And Abraham followed the word of the Lord. And we talked about how we need to stand on the promises of God and walk in the promises of God even when it doesn't make sense. That, that like, Abraham knew, he was assured that Isaac was the one through whom the, the world would be blessed. It's th it was through Isaac. He is the child of promise. He knew that. 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 And God's saying, sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And that seemed to be in conflict. It had to be a struggle, incredible struggle within Abraham's life. But he stood on the promise of God. We just sang about that. We stand on the promise of God. And even when we don't understand, we stand and we walk on the promise of God. And, and Abraham, was he passed the test you know, it said that, that God declared when, when he passed the test, he offered his son and then God intervened 
and said, now I know that you fear God. That was the test. Do you truly fear me? Am I your ultimate love above all things, above my blessing? Am I your ultimate, your ultimate love? Do you fear me more than all other things? Are you in all in respect and honor of me above all other things? And Abraham passed the test. And God provided, we talked about that, and then we celebrated communion. God provided the substitute. And God is calling us to stand on his promises and to walk in his promises, even when we don't understand. And one of the things that, I don't know if you got blessed at all, but some of the things that, that, that God had shown me continued to bless me through this past week. And one of the things was this, is this idea of gazing and glancing. The idea of what are we fixing our eyes on and what are we just glancing at. And the cha- one of the challenges in the message was this. It's, it's like, let's fix our gaze on God and glance at our problems. Because our natural tendency is to do the opposite. Is that I fix my eyes on the issues, the challenges, the problems that I'm going through, and I glance at God. And then I wonder why I feel so defeated. I wonder why I struggle with hopelessness. And if we will, just day by day, like just ask ourselves, where are my eyes now fixed? I'm telling you, it'll change your day. It'll change your moment. It can change you right now. Because we're called to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter of our faith. So where is our gaze? Where is our glance? And here's one thing that I came across this week that, that man, I just, again, it just, it, it just just encapsulates what we, where we can so often find when we talk about where we look. That we can look back with regret. We can look forward with fear and look around in complaint. Anybody else? Gravity pulls you there. <laughs> we look back in regret, we look forward in fear, and we look around in complaint. Do you want know changes at all? When I look up, then I see victory. I have a whole other perspective. So we're going to be calling, to, calling one another to look up today, to gaze upon our God, to gaze upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. So to transition to what we're talking about today, I want to ask you this question. What is one of the most dominant occurrences or even obsessions in American media that is possibly one of the most ignored truths in individuals' lives? Why don't you just ponder this? Let me ask it again. What is one of the most dominant occurrences, even obsessions, in American media that is possibly one of the most ignored truths in individuals' lives? The answer that I have here is death. And just as I say that word, I know that this caused response in many of us immediately. But you think about our culture and the, the obsession almost with death. And this is an old study, and I do believe it to be a very conservative number. Uh, but there's one study that was done that, that, that estimated that an average child, by the time that they have reached, finished elementary school, have witnessed in media over 8,000 murders in media and entertainment. Now, I, I don't know about you, but that makes me want to weep. And I think it's a far underestimate of reality. That in, a, in American media and entertainment, 
There's this, and this obsession with death. And it becomes such a saturation that it's almost like there's this, this numbness or this um, uh, just a lack of, of sensitivity to it because it's just so out there all the time. And yet in real life, we are not prepared. When death touches our lives, we are ill-equipped. And there's this, there's this conflict. So today, the, the title of the message is Living in the Light of Death. I know that just those words sound like they're in conflict, but, but I want to invite us, I want God to invite us into this reality of living in the light of death. And obviously when we think of death, we think of, of pain, of sorrow, of darkness. But there is light. And it's that light that, that God is calling us to. And we cannot be impacted this morning and have our lives changed apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm convinced of that. I'll tell you, this is not a self-help message in any way because we cannot help ourselves, but we are called to cry out, God, I need you, and he is our help. And I'll tell you, I am, uh, yeah, this subject, God knows what he's doing. So, I mean, when, when I knew this was the message for this week, I, uh, I knew that God had called me to speak this. And I felt, I can't speak this. These are hard things. How do I address this? But I stand on the promises. I know that God has called me to speak this. And even this morning, again, God brought some revelation to me because I know that this is extremely sensitive. And that is the biggest understatement for me to say this is extremely sensitive. Um, this is raw. It's deep. It's painful. I've walked with some of you through the valley of the shadow of death. I know some that, like right now, this is a present wound. And, you know, a, a raw wound we don't want to touch. We're afraid for it to be touched. But God just spoke peace over me. And I'm praying, and we're going to pray together. I'm going to pray for the peace of God to rest upon us. Because if, if our response is like, no, I don't want Scripture to take me there. I don't want the message to go there today. That, that probably means that there's a pain. That probably means that there's, there's something that's raw. And God just gave me this piece this morning. It says this. He said this. I need to touch that pain. I need to touch that which is raw. I need, only I can bring healing. Only I can bring help. Trust me. And God is here to touch us where we are through his word, by his spirit, and through his people. And I'm just going to pray a covering, and I'm just going to ask, you know, for those that, that right now, again, you're in that pain. I was just, I didn't know if I would share this or not, but I was, at Monday, I was at the bedside of someone who was in their last stage of life and got to spend hours with that person and the family. And within the hour after I left, they were in, the, they were in eternity. It was that close. Death brings great pain. 
But God is there. And um, if you're in that pain, I just want to encourage you to, um, to reach out and trust God right now. If maybe that's not raw right now, I want you to be praying for those that it is. And we're just going to um, lift ourselves before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. God, we thank you that you are real, uh, that, that we can trust you completely. And God, we thank you that you know what we have need of. And I thank you again that it's by divine appointment that each one of us are right now connecting with your word, with this passage, uh, with what you have spoken divinely. And Lord, we just pray for your covering over us together. God, that your spirit who is comforter, God, would comfort us. God, that your word that pierces the inner part of our being would do a surgical work that would bring healing. And God, that your body is the body of Christ will uphold one another and be with one another and walk with one another. So God, I, I want to thank you now for what you are doing. Uh, God, oh God, we need you. Oh God, oh God, we need you now. We thank you that you meet us in our need. So Lord, I pray that you would guide my words and God, help me to be sensitive to what you're speaking in each moment. And God, I pray that you would uh, protect and heal each heart. God, each mind, each, each person's emotions. And God, we thank you that you are God over all. We trust you. We submit ourselves to you. It's for your honor, for your glory, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Amen. So last week, as I said, we were in Genesis chapter 22, and we did not hit these last five verses. Um, so I want to just touch on them right now because they, they transition us into what we're going to be looking at today. If you remember, we started uh, Genesis 22 with the words, sometime later, those words. And uh, we didn't know exactly how long it was after the birth of Isaac that God uh, called Abraham to sacrifice his son, but it said sometime later. And then now in this chapter, at verse 20, it begins sometime later. And this sometime later, again, we don't know how much time it is, but Abraham gets news. How he got news, I don't know. Uh, long before telegraph, telegram, television, <laughs> telephone, any tell us, except somebody tell us Abraham, okay? So <laughs> dad jokes are the best, right? And I, you know, I just, I just read recently that dad jokes, you know, to a dad, they never stop being funny, so you're probably going to hear that a few more times. Um, <laughs> but somebody told, I'll, I'll be nice, somebody told Abraham about something that happened back home. If you remember, he left Ur of the Chaldeans, and he left Nahor, was, one of, was a brother of Abraham's, and he gets this information somehow that, um, that Nahor has had kids. He's had a bunch of kids. He's had 12 sons that are recorded here, Eight sons to Milcah, to his wife, and then four sons to a concubine. But there's, there's just this little passage, and, and it tells us this, and it says that one of the sons, Bethuel, has a daughter, Rebekah, deposit. Okay? And that's what this is. It's a, it's a little deposit. It's a transition because it's speaking, first of all, back to his homeland. We're going to address that coming up in today's passage. And it's also looking forward to Rebekah, who we're going to hear about next week. Okay, so there's this connection to his past and also a pointing to the future. Okay, so what we're going to do now, that's the end of chapter 22. We're going into chapter 23. And we're going to read the, I know, um, I love going through ver like verse by verse kind of thing that way. We're going to do it a little bit differently today because I want us to get the big picture. 
Uh, we're going to read through the entirety of, of, of verse 23. And it's not like Psalm 119, 176 verses. It's not that long, okay? It's much shorter. Uh, but we're going to read through the entire, entirety of chapter 23. Uh, for those that, that read ahead, you do that last point on this week. Uh, you've already read this, but you probably haven't read what's next. Because we're also, we're going to read through the entirety of 23, and then we're going to go through the ver- first 11 verses of chapter 25. And you'll see why. There's connection there, okay? Um, the other thing, I do have a disclaimer. There's a lot of names in this that... I, I, you know, if, if you want to correct my pronunciation, come on up. You can, you can do this because there's a lot of names going through here. Uh, if you have a child in the near future and you're thinking of names, do not read any of this to try to get any ideas. Okay, so, so again, the disclaimer is, yes, that same name may be repeated, and I'll probably say it three different ways. So, but you can read along, and uh, it's not the pronunciation, but you, you'll understand. You get the gist of it, okay? Uh, so we're going to have... Um, yeah, some of those names already in the second, second verse. Okay, so let's, again, we're reading through the entirety of Genesis 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old, period. <laughs> Inserted, wow. <laughs> okay, verse 2. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said... I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you this tomb, his tomb, for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Machpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field. And I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who, who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. And this concludes the reading of chapter 23. Now chapter 24 we're going to be looking at next week, and that's where Rebecca's going to come in, but we're going to move ahead now to the beginning of chapter 25. 25 verse 1. Abraham had taken another wife, whose name was Keturah. 
She bore him, ready? Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ashbak, and Shua. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the, the Ledishites, and the Lemuelites. Yes. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Edelah. Edelah. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac, but while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac to the land of the east. Abraham lived 175 years, period. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age, an old man and full of years, and he was gathered to his people. His son Isaac, your sons Isaac and Ishmael, buried him in the cave of Machpelah near Mamre in the field of Ephron, son of Zohar the Hittite, the field Abraham had bought from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with his wife Sarah. After Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, who then lived among Ber Lahai Roy. So when I correct my pronunciation, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, <laughs> There's a whole lot in there that we're not going to go into in detail. And just as we're reading through the passages, like some of those things may come to light. It's like, wow, I didn't know that. Or what sense does that make? I'm not going to be able to answer all those questions. There are a lot of things in here. Uh, and, and again, we're not going to be able to touch on all of them today. I encourage you to um, pursue further study. Uh, lots of great resources online, um, commentaries, things you can look up. Um, so if something's really caught your, caught your eye, one place I would recommend is gotquestions.org. ScottQuestions.org. Um, again, I can't endorse everything that's there. There's hundreds of thousands of answers to questions, literally. Um, but you can do a lot of research. Like for one thing, concubines is mentioned in here where it talks about Abraham's uh, concubines. Well, you can look up and it explains scripturally um, and culturally what concubines are and what the Word of God says about that. So I want to give you the resource, GotQuestions.org. Again, not endorsing 100%, but lots of uh, really solid, biblically founded answers. Uh, but what we're going to do now is look at two similar um, passages between uh, chapter 23 and chapter 25. Uh, chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, uh, says, Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriatha Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And then Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 and 8, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at the good old age at a good old age, an old man and full of years. Simple conclusion from this that is extremely important, it's simply this, is that death is, in, is inevitable. Death is inevitable. Live in light of our mortality. Now this, again, as we go through this, I know it's, um, we're talking heavy things and we need to. Because this is real. Like, there's no avoiding it. And as I say this, I need to give one clarification. Um, up to this point in human history, we only know of two people that have not died. According to scriptures, Enoch lived 365 years. He walked with God and he was not. His death is not recorded. Um, Elijah was taken up. And uh, so again, those two, as far as we know, never died. Everybody else, including Jesus, the Son of God, died. So, um, so that's human history to this point. So if any of us think that we are exempt 
that we will not face this, we need to give more thought. Now here's the, the, the one exception, is that up to this point, the rapture of the church has not happened, and it will. Okay, there's confidence that we have that the rapture of the church will happen. There's prophecy in Scripture, and prophecy of Scripture is true and gets fulfilled. And the, and the prophecy of Scripture says that Jesus, the Son of God, will call his bride home. The bride is the church of Jesus Christ. Those who are in the family of God because of the work of Jesus Christ, who are in relationship with God because they've accepted the cleansing of their sin and they're walking in relation. We who are in that are part of that bride. Jesus is gonna call his bride home and when he does, the world changes instantly because the church is called home. For all those that that are alive and followers of Jesus Christ, we will not taste death. Now, th- that will happen. When will it happen? We don't know. We've talked about this before. In fact, uh, the day after Christmas, we, uh, we talked about that just this past, past Christmas. And, and, you know, we need to be in remembrance of this is that, that Christ is calling his bride. And we don't know exactly when. There have been a lot of predictions. Up to this point, if the prediction was in the past, it hasn't come true. Okay, but, but we know that the return of Christ is soon. So when we talk about death and that, that death is inevitable, we need to clarify. There is an exception. For those who are in Christ and are, are alive at his return, we will not taste death. So we need to, again, carry that through this conversation. But apart from the rapture, death is inevitable. That's, that's, it's going to happen and we need to live life in light of our mortality. And our mortality simply means that we will die. And there's light that comes to that. Now, amazingly, one of the most watched live event in television history was back on September 6th of 1997. Uh, many of you, well, there's quite a few that weren't even alive yet, so you'll have to go into history books and see if it's changed. I'm sorry, but, uh, uh, <laughs> um, but on September 6, 1997, it was Princess Diana's funeral. 2,000 people gathered in Westminster Abbey for the actual service. Uh, over a million people lined the streets just to watch her coffin pass by. Between two and two and a half billion people, at that time the world population was just under six billion, between two, two and two and a half billion people watched this uh, procession, this honoring of Princess Diana. The death was a shock to the world. Diana was the people's princess. So why am I referring to that? Is that we're talking about the death of a princess today. Sarah. Her name means princess, given to her by God. And she is unique in Scripture uh, she's great in scripture. And in fact, some interesting things about this. Now we know that, that Sarah is the wife of Abraham. He's the father of faith. He's the father of all who believe, according to Romans chapter four. Um, she is the one who uh, bore Isaac miraculously in her old age when she was barren. And she is, is mentioned twice. There, there are honors given to her, not to any other woman in scripture, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. But twice, in Isaiah 51, and then also in 1 Peter chapter 3, she is given as an example for women to follow. Uh, she is the only woman in Scripture 
whose age at death, there's a reason that women don't talk about their age. She's the only woman in scripture whose age at death is listed as well as her burial. There is a great honor to this princess. And then, of course, we look at Abraham, Father Abraham. Okay, I was thinking of saving it for later. Had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. We're going to transition now. It's, uh, okay, for those that just got stuck in your mind, yes, it is my fault, and I'll take credit. But Father Abraham, he died, again, it says, at, at the age of 175 years old. He was 100 years, he lived a century after his call to, to go to that land that I will show you. He was 75 at his call, lived 100 years walking in obedience to that call. What an incredible life. And what does it say that, that, that again, he was 175 years old, he breathed his last, died at a good old age, an old man and full of years. The reality is, the greatness of these people, and again, Abraham, in the New Testament, his name is listed 70 times. Moses is 80, like the prominence of this man. But we're looking at this, that Sarah and Abraham both died. They lived to advanced years by our standards. But yet they both died. That death is inevitable. Death is part of life. Scripture says that our lives are a mist of vapor. And even as the grass of the field, there's a life cycle. You know, and our culture lives very separate from death overall. And part of it, uh, for those that uh, are farmers and, and um, or have the opportunity to be around livestock, you have a different perspective of death because it's more understood. It's more, I believe, that, that the, the comprehension of death is differently because you understand that chicken has to be killed before it gets on the plate. For the rest of us, we just go to the store and then it ends up on our plate. Seriously. I, I mean, there, there's, there's a connection that is different. But the reality is that, is that death is a reality. Death, death is a reality for all of us. It's inevitable. And when we can embrace this, hesitate to say embrace, but when we can come to terms with this in a greater and greater way, because I think all things are progressive in our knowledge and understanding and application, but, but there's light and there's life literally in the light of death. So why do we die? You know, the simplest answer, in fact, it has to go back to this, is where we started in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3. We die because sin brings death. You know, you remember that, that, that in the very beginning, God, God gave the openness to eat from the tree of life. That's a good tree to be eating from, the tree of life. We, we want to eat that. We want to keep living on and on. He said, you may eat of that tree. But do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And then in, in, in chapter three, Genesis chapter 3, we remember that, that Eve was tempted and then, and then Adam, and they both ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God is true to his word. They ate, and death came. So we need to understand that, that and be reminded that it's the nature of living here on earth is that there is death. It's appointed unto man once to die. For those that embrace reincarnation, Scripture says that's a lie. Scripture says it's appointed unto man once to die and then to face judgment. So death is here because of sin. 
And you say, well, because of my sin, it's because of mankind's sin. It's because of what the planet has fallen into the curse. So we're born into a planet where we have sin within us, and the wages of sin is death. And death is unavoidable. So how does the reality of death impact our lives? Now, again, for those that have gone through loss or are potentially facing loss of life, that, that impact is, is immeasurable. In fact, it's, it can be overwhelming. How does death impact our lives? How often do we think about it? Do we fear it? Do we ignore it? Like, how, how do we interact with this reality of death? I know that, again, God forms us and God calls us uniquely. And I just want to share a little bit about some of God's formation and calling in my life is that I've been called to come alongside of many people who have walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Again, I got a call Monday to be with people who were, were facing death. But I want to explain this, and some of you have heard me say this, but I consider it a blessing. Now, I know that God, again, has, it's part of what he's called me to, is to walk alongside of people. But I consider it a great privilege and a blessing because it gives me perspective that the brevity of life is a good thing to be aware of. Now, we can have a fixation, and that's dangerous if we're constantly fixated on death and we're consumed with it and we're fearing it. That's not healthy. But if we can live with it in these terms is understanding that the reality is that, that, that death is inevitable. There is light there because what it does, it helps me to live this moment in a different way. I literally, I was going up to the hospital room on Monday, and I knew that Bill may only have minutes or hours or days and it turned out to be probably four or five hours from the time that I arrived. But, but like, I'm literally going up to that room realizing I could pass before Bill. I literally, I thought that. Is that our life is temporal. Like, we don't know. Psalm 90, 12 says that we teach us to number our days that we will gain a heart of wisdom. To, to understand that we are temporal, that we are only here for a time, can be freeing, it can be life-giving, because I can live this moment in a different way. Understanding that this moment is a gift of God, none of us are guaranteed the next. And I'm telling you what, that cleanses us, it purifies us, it gives us focus, it gives us priority, it can bring great light and life to us. So live with this reality. Don't allow fear to embrace you, don't allow dread to embrace you, but we need to live in this reality that death is inevitable, but live in the light of our mortality. Then we move on in chapter 23 to what happened after Sarah's death. It says, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. Look at the response, the father of faith, his response to the death of his wife. He went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. We talk about first in Scripture. This is the first time that weeping, that crying is mentioned in Scripture. Allow ourselves to cry. 
We understand that, that there's health in that. So many times, especially for men, may, men may feel it or may uh, feel that, that they need to help other men, like buckle up under this, hold it in. Abraham, the father of, of, of faith, wept at the death of his wife. Ecclesiastes 3 said there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything under the sun. And part of it, there's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. There is a time to weep. There is a time to mourn. Allow yourself to do it. We look at, at Jesus' life as an example in many, many ways, but you look at John 11, Jesus wept. At the, at the tomb of Lazarus, when he knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead, I know there's a lot of, uh, of thoughts of why Jesus wept, but he definitely entered into mourning and into grief. If not for his own loss, but seeing the mourning and the grief of others. Because the reality is, is yes, Lazarus was about to be raised from the dead, but Jesus knew that he would again die. That he would face death later. So we need to allow ourselves to cry, to express the emotions. Tears do not show weakness or unbelief. We need to embrace that. Tears do not show weakness or unbelief. In fact, some cultures understand the importance of grief. In the Jewish culture, it, it, was, it was common for there to be 30 days of mourning after a death. 30 days dedicated to mourning, like, like formal uh, time of weeping and of mourning. And there were, in Jesus' day, there were actually those that were paid to be mourners, to cry and to, and to wail, to mourn. There's, there's health in it. The Egyptians even had a 70-day period of mourning. So there is something that, that is healthy about going through a grieving process. And looking at this, I believe that we can find help when we realize that we should walk through grief with hope and find healing. So walk through grief with hope and find healing. So what is grief? A more scientific definition often is that grief is an intense emotional experience triggered by loss. We need to walk through it. A definition that, uh, that Pastor Jeff has often given that I've shared with a lot of people is this, is that grief is, is coming to a place of letting go what we, can, what we can no longer have in order to embrace what we can have. Incredible definition of grief, of grief. Letting go of what we can no longer have in order to embrace what we can have. So these are some definitions of grief. But here's the thing is that we're specifically talking about grief because of death but yet grief is connected to losses of many kinds. Uh, grief is connected to uh, the loss of a relationship, a loss of a job. Moving from one location to another can bring grief. Changes in our lives can produce grief. And so many times we're going through grief and we don't realize it. And some of the things that I'm talking about, yes, they apply to death, but yet they apply to many other changes and losses in our lives. And it's helpful for us to see how to walk through it, to see that, that, that again, that, that God is with us and there is hope and we can find healing through grief. Now, why does this pain, this grief come into our lives? I've come to the conclusion of this is as we've referenced back to the fall of mankind, we were created to live forever. You know, God's intention, his design, what he instructed would have provided eternal life ongoing in the Garden of Eden. We were created to live forever. When we have loss, when there's loss of life, what we are created for is interrupted. 
that goes against what we were created to be as eternal beings. Now we know that we are eternal beings still, but yet this body, this life, has now become temporal. And I really believe that that's foundational to why we hurt so bad. This is interrupting what God has created by design. So if you do searches about stages of grief, I'm just going to touch on this briefly, but I want to go through it. Uh, you can come up with different, different things. There may be five stages of grief, seven stages of grief. I, I want to go down through, and again, this isn't uh, saying scripture, but this is what we've, uh, uh, many people who have walked with many people in, through grief have seen these stages. I'm going to read through them, and then I'm going to give a little bit of explanation. But if you go to the seven-stage model, that there's seven stages of grief, um, here's the listing. Uh, shock and denial is a stage. And that's a place where there's, there's disbelief, there's a numbness. Like, is this really real? Can this, have, will, can this really be my new reality? Uh, there's pain and guilt. Where this is, it's, it feels like this loss is unbearable. And there's this feeling of guilt often um, because of the way that this pain is impacting others through your life. There's anger and bargaining. This is where we can lash out at people. And, and this is where um, there might be this bargaining with God. It's like, God, I'll commit to do this if you'll just get me through this, if you'll just help me out. You know, that, that, that is the stage of grief. Depression, the period of isolation, of pulling, a, pulling away, of loneliness, of kind of internalizing that pain and just feeling stuck and sunk in that pain. Then there's the upward turn. This is where uh, a stage of grief where anger and pain They've died down some. There's more calm and there's a relaxed, more of a relaxed state. Uh, then the next stage, reconstruction and working through. And this is, again, starting to put life back together again. It's rebuilding, reconstruction, working through, starting to move forward. In fact, Abraham, um, it, you know, it says in the scripture that he mourned and he wept. And then it says he, he, he got up, he stood up, some translations say. And that actually means to, like, kind of square your shoulders, Take a firm step, look forward, moving forward. Now, again, we don't know that time frame, but yet that's part of uh, what's even explained in Abraham's journey. And then the last stage, acceptance and hope. And this is, um, it's a very gradual acceptance, and it's a new way of life and a feeling of possibility for the future. Now, here's the thing. I just lifted, listed seven stages of grief. The reality is that it's not that easy. It's not that straightforward. It's not that order. That grief is messy. And you know, one of the best descriptions I've had is you can take the different emotions and things that you feel in grief and it's like noodles of spaghetti, just all touching one another and intermingled. And, and so it, it's not clean. It's not like I can, you know, for us list, list makers, it's not like you can make the list and it's like, okay, I've done one, let's go to two. It doesn't work that way. Grief is messy. But these are things that we experience as we walk through grief. And for, for some people, you know, it, it's, it's unique in that you may not, really even visit one of those stages where another person may feel, have a real struggle with a stage. Okay, so, so there, there is uniqueness to it. There's a personal walk, and yet there is also commonality. Because one of the things about grief is that it feels like you're the only one that's ever felt this way. Like you can't imagine that anybody else has felt or experienced what you're feeling. That's natural in grief. It's part of grief. So what do we do? We're in this process. 
one of the important things, and for those that have gone through grief and have tried to, uh, and are, maybe are navigating it still, uh, one of the things that, you, that you've probably heard is that you need to be careful not to get stuck in grief. And I can't define stuck because, again, there are things that, that sometimes it, it takes time to work through a, a certain part of stage or a certain aspect of uh, part of, of grief or a certain stage uh, of grief. Um, but we need to be careful not to get stuck. And that's where it's in this prolonged place where there's just no forward movement. And again, we need to give ourselves grace and keep moving. Because the reality is, is that we can't bypass grief. We need to go through it. The psalmist David in Psalm 23, that famous psalm, verse 4, even though I walk through the, through, walk through, listen to that, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's a journey, there's a walking through that we can't get around it. If we, if we try to avoid it, it just gets buried. And often then we have stacked grief. I have a loss of the past, I have a current loss, and so now I'm dealing with the current loss, but then the other loss comes up because I haven't walked through it. And even when I have walked through it, it's still gonna be some, have an impact on current loss. But David, David said with full assurance, let me go back to verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. The Lord is with me. He gives me what I need. Lord, I need you. He is meeting the need. I'm not walking through this valley alone. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no, ever, no evil. Why? Because you are with me. That God is with us. That we, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. When we, when we know that God is our God, we have this assurance. We have this confidence. We know that we can allow our feelings to be expressed, that we, that we have a safe place in God and in, in those that are around us that, that we can trust, that we can allow our feelings to be expressed. We know that we don't have to grieve alone. We're called to be part of the community of faith. We're called to allow others to walk with us. And ultimately, we know that there's hope beyond the grave. We don't grieve as those who have no hope, Scripture says. We have a hope that we know with confidence that when this life ends, for those who are in Christ, there is a life that, that is truly life, that is eternal, no more death. We talked when tears were first mentioned in this passage. Do you know when they're last mentioned? Revelation 21. He will wipe away all tears. There will be no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more death. The former things are passed away. There is an end to this pain in God's presence. Now here's, I said about embracing the hope that we have in Christ. I want to make this crystal, crystal clear. Is that there are hopes that people have that are lies. There are hopes that people have that are lies. There's a, a, a doctrine of universalism. And that doctrine of universalism, I am convinced, is a lie. And that doctrine of universalism says this, that all people are going to end up in heaven some way, somehow, someday. I do not see that in Scripture. It sounds great. It would be wonderful if it was true. I do not see it in Scripture. There is a place of eternal judgment, separation from God. And that place is called hell. It was made for Satan and the demons but for those who do not accept the salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, that is our destiny. 
Apart from Christ, we are destined there. That was, that was our destination when we were born, and only salvation through Jesus Christ saves us from the penalty, from the payment of eternal judgment in hell. I've literally probably done hundreds of funerals. And I commit each person to the righteous judgment of God. I don't know what's in a heart. God knows the heart. Regardless of the situation of life or death, I commit them in the faithful judgment and justice of God to the mercy and grace of God. He judges rightly. Only he knows how he judges. I don't. But I get very concerned when I look at a life that has been lived absent of all faith, any proclamation of Christ, any walking in righteousness, and yet there seems to be this calm that they're in a better place. I don't believe it's true. Again, I'm not passing judgment, but I know that apart from Christ, our eternity is hell. God has prepared heaven for us for all who would believe. His desire is that none would be lost, but all would come to repentance, that all would be with him in paradise. Jesus' death is sufficient to cover all sin of all mankind, but there must be a response. We talked last week about that sacrifice on the altar, giving Isaac. It happened because Abraham knew the love of God, and he was responding to the love of God. And that's what we need to understand, and everybody needs to understand, is that God so loved that he gave his son So if we receive the gift, I can't work for it, I can't earn it. All I can do is receive that free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And when I do, it's not just a prayer, it's a life change. It starts with a prayer, it starts with with accepting the provision of Christ for my sin, but it, it, it results in a life change where my life is no longer mine, I now live for him. And his life lives within me, and then I have this hope. I have this hope that I can stand in. I can find the healing that I need. Jesus' declaration, again, at the grave of Lazarus to to Martha were these words in John 11, 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? I trust that the answer for all of us will be yes. And that you will step in, if you have not, that you will step into this life in Christ Find eternal life, embrace a hope that only God can give. There's a well-known pastor of, this, of last century, Dr. Vance Havner, who was consoled with these words. He was told, he was told by a friend this, he, they said, I'm sorry to hear you lost your wife. He smiled and he replied, when you know where something is, you haven't lost it. There's hope in grief. If you're walking through grief and you need help, there are many places and ways to find help. I encourage you to embrace help that that is founded in faith. Here at Grace, we have people that walk one-on-one with people who who are walking through grief. They're called Stephen ministers. And there's ministry cards and at Connect, you can go to the Connect kiosk. There's Stephen ministers that walk with people through grief. We have a grief support group that meets the the last Monday of each month to come alongside, to share, because again, our our walk is unique, but yet we have commonality with others that have have and are experiencing loss. 
We have counseling, incredible counseling ministry here on the Hill in Him Christian Wellness with people that will sit down with you one-on-one and talk through. And, you know, I mentioned it before, we have all y'all. We, we need to reach out to one another. So many times we can come alongside somebody else that has walked through a similar path, experienced a similar loss, and find help and healing. We have a couple in this church that minister specifically to parents who have lost children because they have walked that road. Don't grieve alone. Walk through. Allow God to provide what you need. So then, um, I just I'll touch this very quickly. Chapter 23, it's, it's wild when you look at it, 20 verses, and almost the whole chapter, almost the entire chapter is about Abraham buying a, a grave for Sarah. It seems bizarre. But here's the point that I want us to draw, and I'll, I'll touch on this quickly. Stand in God's calling when faced with death. So what I want to do is just explain quickly what was happening. The, the people of the town came together at the city gate. That's where business was transacted. And they honored. They knew that Sarah had died and Abraham was looking for a grave. And, and they said, you're a great man among us, a prince among us. It's like, we'll all offer to you a tomb. We know you don't have anything. Now remember, Abraham was a, was a, a stranger and, a, and a, a sojourner or a traveler. He was a nomad. God promised him the entire land, but he owned nothing. We know from a treaty that he had well access. Um, that, that was established in a treaty at the end of a chapter two, two chapters ago. But, but the thing is, is that he owned nothing. He had no land. So the people of that, of that town said, you know, you just tell us which grave you want, and, we'll, and it's yours. He, had, he, had, he was honored. The man of God, traveling as a foreigner, living on other people's land, had the honor. Does that speak to something of character? Our lives... Our lives should be honorable. And when you look at these transactions, these discussions, he was bowing before them. He was honoring. He was, I mean, so there's so much beauty here. But Abraham picked out a spot. It's a place where he had encountered God, where he had built, had had, had his tent and he had built an altar. And it was owned by Ephron. And he said, I would like Ephron's property. And, and Ephron happened to be there and he said, it's yours. I'll give it to you. And Abraham said, no, 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 I'm not asking for a gift. I want to pay for it. Now, that negotiation, there's scholars have different takes on it, but this could be a common way of negotiating in that place where it's not Ephraim wasn't just saying, but that's just the way you start the conversation. Oh, it's yours. I'll give it to you, you know? And, oh, no, 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 I can't take it. I'll pay you. And then, and then, um, and then Ephraim gives the price. He said, okay, well, if you insist, uh, 400 shekels of silver. How's that? Well, that was a starting place. Typically in, the, in that culture, that was a starting place. 400 shekels of, service, of silver, the expected response of Abraham would have been, oh, 400, that's ridiculous, I'll give you two. You know, and, and it would have been a bargaining thing back and forth. But what happened was, is, is, is Ephron said, 400 shekels of silver, and it's yours. And Abraham said, okay, I'll pay you for it. And there's a lot of, again, a lot of background in this that it's very possible that he wanted to pay that full price for a lot of reasons, but he wanted to secure that property. Because it could have been challenged if it was given for free. It could have been challenged later due to tax issues and things. Believe it or not, that existed then. But it could have been challenged later by descendants down the road. And Abraham said, no, I want to secure this. And do you know what he was doing? He was moving forward in the calling that God had placed on his life. 
He was purchasing a land. You realize that when Abraham, Abraham had promised, he's, you know, God had taken him to the mountain. He said, look, as far as north, south, east, west, it's yours. He died owning one piece of it, and it was a tomb. He stood in the face of death. He stood on the calling that God had placed on his life. And the, the first and only thing that he had deeded to him of that whole promised land was a tomb. But he stood on it. Even in the face of death, he said, I'm going to stand on the promises of God. In our faith, when our faith is challenged, when the calling on our life is challenged, in the face of loss, in the face of death, stand. Stand. I can't do that on my own with God's power. You can stand. Standing on the promises of God, of Christ my Savior, stand. God will give you the strength to stand when you do not have strength on your own. And then finally, we're going to close by moving to chapter 25. And the point that I want to draw from this is that we need to prepare others to carry the light of the gospel. We need to prepare others to carry the light of the gospel. Because we live with the understanding that we are mortal, that death is inevitable, we need to be thinking of passing on the torch. We need to be thinking of the next generation that will pick up and that will carry the call. And Abraham took care of that. Again, we can't go through, we don't have time to go through all the details. Um, he, had, he had had sons um, through Keturah, and he had given them gifts and sent them out. But where did he give his inheritance? To the one that God promised. His inheritance was in Isaac. It was interesting that even with his burial, both Isaac and Ishmael both came to his burial. That's honor. You know how funerals bring families together? There can be good in that. But the heir, Isaac, was blessed. In fact, he then, it says where, where he moved, that place where he moved was a place of prayer and of intercession. Isaac did after Abraham's death. And we need to be passing the torch. We need to be investing in others. We need to realize that it is not all about us. That we're, gonna, we're not taking anything with us, right? I know there's some sayings and songs, there's no hitch on, on a hearse. You know, we're not, we're not pulling anything behind us. We don't take, we leave everything here. But the, real, the reality is that all the stuff is going to pass away. All the stuff. Heaven and earth going to pass away. But faith, the word of God, these are the things that we need to be investing in the next generation, the generation that comes after us. We need to be handing the torch. We need to be saying, as I walk in faith, so walk here. And we do that by walking beside one another. We do that by walking together in faith. It's not, it, 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 you know, we talked about Abraham and Isaac last week, like Abraham and Isaac walking together in worship up the mountain, and then literally Abraham's ready to take Isaac's life. Somehow God used that to help Isaac to understand worship. Somehow God used that to build his faith, and the torch was handed to Isaac. God's servants must do all that we can to ensure that God's program of blessing continues 
from generation to generation to generation. We need to invest in one another. We need to be handing the torch. So, living in light of death, we need to live in a way that we understand that we're writing our own obituary. That there's some way that people are going to look back on our lives. Will we live in a way that honors the Lord? We need to understand that we're living in a way that's going to be passing something else on. Are we passing on the truth and the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ? There is light. We can live in the light of death. And that's what I want us to invite us, want to invite us to right now as we close. Will we see light in death? I want to read this passage, and I don't have the scriptures on the screen, but I just want to read through uh, this passage of scripture. If you're taking notes, it's in 2 Corinthians, the end of chapter 4, and then into chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 4. I want to, be, want to begin with verse 16. You know, there's something about um, Paul that he lived in a reality of death that brought, brought him greater life. And Beginning with verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles. Now, read what Paul went through, and he described his troubles and the troubles of the early church in this way. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what is seen is temporary, it's temporal, but what is unseen is eternal. For we know that the earthly tent, that's this physical body, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. Earthly tent and a building. We, this will be destroyed, this will be folded up, but we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands, Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Paul lived in this reality of the now and the not yet. Instead, instead of death being this, this wall, he saw this death as a door. It's a passageway from this temporal, this taste of eternity into eternity. But he was allowing that eternity to shine through a window to bring light and purpose to this present day and this present moment. And God is desiring for us to allow death to be a light that illuminates how we walk, that walks us through the difficult times. Paul said this, for me to live is Christ 
and to die is gain. Will we settle in that reality? Will we walk in the truth and the light, the power of that reality? For me to live, it's Christ. For me to die is gain. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you that you are God over all. God, that you are faithful, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you, Lord, that we can look back in the Old Testament, we can see death, and we can see standing on the promises. We can see, Lord, that your presence and your power. God, we thank you, Lord, that, that you have given us this, these words, and, and, and although it's, it's difficult to talk about these, God, I thank you that you've led us here this morning to lead us to a deeper and a higher place in you. So God, we pray even right now, Lord, that you would just help us to settle in with you and allow you to do whatever you desire to do in our lives. Lord, for those that are hurting in deep pain from grief, Lord, we pray for your divine touch and for your healing. God, for, the, for those that, that may be caught up and so focused on this life that they're, they're not living in light of eternity, God, I pray that you would open eyes and understanding. God, I pray that you would help us all to fix our eyes on you, Lord. And to allow what is eternal to have dominance in our minds and in our decisions and our everyday living. God, give us, Lord, Lord, your eyes, your heart. I thank you, Lord, that you are healer. I thank you, Lord, that you are comforter. I thank you, Lord, that you are empowerer. I thank you that you are life giver. And I thank you that you are here. God, just continue, Lord, to draw us to yourself in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we often do, we're going to give you an opportunity to just respond in worship. And we're just going to sing this song of declaration of who God is and the power of our God. I want to invite you to respond however God would lead you, if it would be to stand and worship, to kneel, to sit, if you want to come forward and just uh, spend some time in the front in prayer. Uh, we just want to give you this opportunity as we worship in song.